And this one's entitled, What Happened Here Today? One day a man came home from work to find total mayhem at home. The kids were outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud and the muck. There were empty food boxes and wrappers all around. And as he proceeded into the house, he found an even bigger mess. Dishes on the counter, dog food spilled on the floor, a broken glass under the table, a small pile of sand by the back door. The family room, room was strewn with toys and various items of clothing, and a lamp had been knocked over. He headed up the stairs, stepping over toys to look for his wife. He was becoming worried that she may be ill or that something had happened to her. He found her in the bedroom, still in bed with her pajamas on, reading a book. She looked up at him, smiled, and asked how his day went. He looked at her, bewildered, and asked, What happened here today? And she again smiled and answered, Well, you know every day when you come home from work and ask me what I did today? Yes, was his reply. She answered, Well, today I didn't do it. I thought that was pretty good. Hey, this is, this is a children's perspective on mom. These are real answers to questions children in elementary school gave concerning their mom. All right, this is this. I'm just going to read them as they were given here. Why were mothers created? One said she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. Another one said, think about it. It was the best way to get more people. See, these kids are pretty sharp. Why were mothers created? Mostly to clean the house, another one says. So. How were mothers made is the question. One said from dirt, just like the rest of us. Another one said magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. Another one said just the same as I was made, except bigger parts were used. I'm just, these are our kids. Listen to this question. Why were you given your mother and not some other mom? One answered, we're related. Another one said, she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. <laughs> what kind of little girl was your mom? One of the children answered, my mom has always been my mom and none of that other stuff. Another one said, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. What kind of little girl was your mom is the question. Another one said, they say she used to be nice. <laughs> Listen to this. These are just um, questions to elementary kids. How did your mom meet your dad? One answered, mom was working in a store and dad was shoplifting. <laughs> Listen to this. My mom was just walking in the street and my dad found her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What did mom need to know about dad before she married him? What did mom need to know about dad before she married him? One said his last name. Number, another one said she had to know his background. Like, is he a crook? Did he get drunk on beer? Did he make at least $800 a year? Did he, did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? Why did your mom marry your dad? One said, my dad makes the best spaghetti in the world and my mom eats a lot of spaghetti. <laughs> Why did your mom marry your dad? Number two, she got too old to do anything else with him. 
<laughs> Why'd your mom marry your dad? Another one said, my grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on. <laughs> Question, what makes a real woman? One of the children said, it means you have to be really bossy without looking bossy. Here's one. Who's the boss at your house? Who's the boss at your house? The kids answered, Mom doesn't want to be the boss, but she has to because my dad is such a goofball. <laughs> Who's the boss at your house? Another one said, Mom, you can tell by room inspection. She's the only one that can see the stuff under the bed. <laughs> Who's the boss? I guess Mom is, but only because she has a lot more to do than Dad. So... What's the difference between moms and dads? Children said, moms work at work and work at home. Dads just work at work. Aren't they insightful? What's the difference between moms and dads? Moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. What's the difference between moms and dads? Dads are taller and stronger, but moms have all the real power because that's who you got to ask if you want to sleep over at your friend's house. <laughs> I'm just looking. Describe the world's greatest mom. She would make broccoli taste like ice cream. <laughs> I can't read that one. All right. Let's see what else. Is there anything about your mom that's perfect? One said, her teeth are perfect, but she bought them from a dentist. <laughs> Another one said, just her children. That's what they thought. <laughs> what would it take to make your mom perfect? That's the question. One of the kids said, on the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think some kind of plastic surgery. All right, this is your kids. Let's go through this. What my mother taught me. I'm just going through this. What my mother taught me. My, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me religion. You better pray that will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why my mother taught me foresight. <laughs> Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Just keep laughing and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of dichotomies. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me about stamina. You're going to sit here until all your vegetables are finished. My mother taught me about weather. It looks as if a tornado has swept through your room. My mother taught me about physics. If I yelled because I saw a meteor coming towards you, would you listen then? My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. 
My mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. My mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. They my mother taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. My mother taught me about wisdom. When you get my age and have kids of your own, you'll understand. <laughs> my mother taught me biology. No, just because you feel your sister move in my tummy does not mean I ate her. My mother taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in the world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. And then finally, I, I discovered different views of mom. You'll appreciate this. Different views of mom. At four years old, they say, mommy can do anything. At eight years old, they say, my mom knows a lot, a whole lot. At 12 years of age, they'll say, my mother doesn't really know quite everything. At 14 years old, they say, Mom, duh. At 16 years old, my mom, well, like, she's so not cool. At 18, they say, that old woman, she is so out of touch. At 25, they'll say, well, she might know a little bit about it. At 35, they'll say, before we decide, let's get Mom's opinion. At 45... They say, I wonder what mom thinks about it. And at 65, they'll say, I wish I could talk it over with mom. Isn't that true? If you haven't experienced it yet, I can assure you there's a lot of truth to all those things. Well, I thought that would be good and give us all a chuckle on mom's day and get us started as we talk about what I want to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges and we'll get something to a little, little bit more serious here in the book of Judges. And I want to read out of Judges chapter 5. And I entitled the message this morning, I Will Arise. I want all the moms, just the moms, to say this. All right? I want, on the count of three, I want all the moms to say, I will arise. Ready? One, two, three. I will arise. And in Judges chapter 5, there is a lady by the name of Deborah here that I want to just talk about for a few moments. And uh, she says some interesting and amazing things. So Judges chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. I'll talk a little bit about what's going on here in just a moment, but let's listen to the word. It says, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. In verse 7, which is very important, it says, Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Isn't that interesting? Until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. And I want to talk especially to the moms, but hopefully everybody 
can make some applications here on what I've entitled, I Will Arise. Now, this text in the book of Judges is what is called the Song of Deborah. And uh, you will find all through the Bible, on occasion, these songs that are just inserted into the middle of, of historical passages. And as I began to understand it, whenever there would be great victories, for instance, when the children of Israel crossed uh, the Red Sea, and God parted the seas, and then the seas came back upon the Egyptian army, you'll find a, a, a song in there as well from, uh, I believe it was Miriam, that there was a great song that erupted, this spontaneous song, and, and, and I don't know what the sound of it musically would have been like, but lyrically, we, we have some of the remnants of these songs that would go forth, and this is such a song. There was a great battle that took place, there was a victory that God gave to the children of Israel. And the song that Deborah was singing at this point basically gives us a context or it gives us an outline of what took place when that great national victory came to pass. Now, we're in the book of Judges, and it's been a long, long time since I've ever taught from the book of Judges, but it might be good just to understand a little bit of what was happening during this time period. You see, after Israel came into the land, we all know the story, uh, hundreds of years in Egyptian bondage, they're released. Uh, they, uh, with great uh, miracles, get to the place where they stand on the edge of their destiny, getting into the promised land, uh, got a bad report. They spend 40 extra years in the wilderness, weaning out that mentality and that generation until the day finally comes under the leadership of Joshua that they're able to go back into the promised land and they begin to secure their promise from God. And they move from city to city and from region to region fighting battles in order to secure the land that was given to them as a promise from God. Well, what began to take place was as they were moving through the land uh, and they were fighting these battles, how many of you could identify with this thought? It began to get wearisome and they began to get tired. How many of you know waking up every morning knowing that you got to go to battle again today gets old? Some of you have been in situations and circumstances and you've been there for a long, long time. And when you first faced the challenge, you probably got up early in the morning and you said, I will arise and, and God's on the throne and we're going to battle and I'll press through the day. And you did exactly that. But when you begin to face weeks and months and even years of constant battling, after a while you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, how long must I continue to go to battle? Can I give you a biblical precept right here? You fight until you win. That's the precept. You battle until victory comes. You do not retreat. You do not surrender. You do not give up. The Bible says that God has no pleasure in the soul that shrinks back. You don't cast away your confidence. You don't begin to doubt God's word. You arise and you keep battling because you never know when you're just 24 hours away from a victory. Are you following me? But... Like normal human beings, the children of Israel were getting up in the morning and they were going, this is hard, I don't like this, nobody likes fighting. And so what happened was, as they were about halfway through, they began to negotiate treaties with their enemies. Instead of battling and driving out their enemies, they decided they would negotiate peace treaties with them and that that would alleviate their need for battle. Oh, that would be a great place to preach right there. Cutting deals with the devil. Cutting deals with, with, with whatever the challenge is so you can just quit having to get up and fight again. 
Well, what happened was there was there was sort of a fake peace for a season. And they got a little relief. But God hasn't called you to relief. He's called you to victory. Amen. See, some of you battle till you get a little relief in your life. See, that's that's our problem is, is that we serve God until there's relief. And then as soon as they're released, we, we want to go back to the way we were. You know, relief is just a false peace that lulls you into a thinking that somehow it's all OK. You got to battle your way to victory. And, and so there was this false peace, this relief that came as they negotiated with their enemies. And all of a sudden it came back to haunt them. And basically that's the book of Judges. The book of Judges is the children of Israel going through these cycles where they would be walking in victory and they would be on top and God's on the throne and hallelujah. And, and then they would cycle back into uh, beginning to assimilate the gods of the of the pagans and the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and all these. They'd assimilate them. They'd backslide. And, and, and then and then they'd be oppressed again. And then God would raise up these judges. And there are a dozen or so judges in this book that God would raise up and, and, and the children of Israel would go through these cycles. And if you can imagine, there were a dozen of these cycles that the judge would come and God would use that judge in order to deliver them. And, and everybody would be happy and, and their oppressors would be would be gone. But then all of a sudden, because it was just relief, they would slowly go back into their old ways and then they'd go back one more time into that oppression and they'd cycle up and down and up and down and up and down. They'd return to God and they'd backslide. They'd return to God and they'd backslide over and over again. And and so and so this book begins to just enumerate all of these all of these judges because God never intended this is interesting. God never intended that kings rule the nation of Israel. A lot of people don't understand this precept. Now, there are precepts that we can pull out of kings, uh, but mo most people don't understand this. God was to be their king. He was to be their king and they were to worship him and him alone. In fact, the Lord knew when the people began to cry out for a king, the Lord knew that if he gave them this desire, they were going to have problems with kings. And how many of you know that came to pass? He said, if you get a king, they're going to act just like all these other heathen kings. So he said, you really ought not have one now. God wasn't for anarchy. A lot of people think that that means it's everyone for themselves, but that really wasn't true. He'd raise up prophets and he'd raise up judges. He'd raise up authority. And out of that authority, God would begin to disseminate his voice and coalesce the nation in order to come around that vision. And, and judges were a part of, I believe, what God's original intent probably was in the midst of his people. But, but there was no stability, or at least the people couldn't find stability in that. And so, so we begin to see God's intent in these judges to try to help the children of Israel stay on target and, and obviously worship the Lord as king. And one of these judges that arises is a woman by the name of Deborah. Deborah is an interesting person because Deborah was, the Bible tells us, listen to this, Deborah was a prophetess, she was a judge, she was a wife. And a lot of people think that Deborah was was the wife of Barak, but that's really not true. Barak was not not the wife of or the husband of Deborah. Deborah had had a husband that is mentioned in the scripture, but she was a wife. She was a mother. She was a military commander. She was a nat national leader. How many of you know that she is the ultimate in multitasking right there? 
Can you imagine all those things falling upon the shoulders of Deborah? Deborah was a woman that God raised up. Obviously, God gave her abilities of leadership, military strategy, incredible strength of character. In fact, the captains, one of her captains, which was Barak, he was about ready to go into battle. And he literally says in the scripture, he says, he says, I'm not going into battle unless you come and show up on the battlefield with me. In other words, there was a strength in Deborah that the nation saw that they wouldn't even go into battle unless she showed up and participated in that. I guess you could say that that Deborah was like the first Joan of Arc. I mean, you just didn't mess with Deborah. I don't know what Deborah looked like, but apparently but apparently she commanded people's respect. Now, I'm going to just say so I'm just going to just it's just this is a little parenthetical statement I'm going to make because I think it's important on Mom's Day and dealing with Deborah because something important just needs to be covered here and that is that that churches have gotten real weird uh, about women in leadership. I, I mean, they, they find a verse or maybe two tops that seem to indicate something with regards to women sort of being in the back of the bus or taking a step back. And, and I, just, I just want to tell you what my view is, and, and I'm telling you my view is scriptural. You can believe something different, but you've been wrong before. So, so listen to me carefully. See, I, I do believe because I understand authority deeply. I understand 1 Corinthians 11. I understand how God set things up. I do believe it is God's preference for men to arise and provide leadership. I believe that. I, I believe that men can step up and be spiritual leaders and they need to. And I believe even through the creation and the examples that are used through Scripture that when we're talking about authority, uh, we need to understand that that is God's preference and I believe probably His intent. So I understand how all that works. I understand how it's supposed to work in a marriage. I understand how it's supposed to work in relationships and even in the church. But listen to me. And this is the part that the guys can plug in. If men won't step up, it doesn't stop God. Now that's really important. Because I'm here to tell you that all through the years, many a church has been held open by godly spiritual women. I, I, I'm just telling you a fact at this point. Men, listen guys, our gender doesn't make us authority just because we're, 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 we're gendered men. Let me, let me tell you this, if a man, I'll, I'll look at a woman every time, if a man or a husband looks at his wife, let's say, and tells her to violate the scripture, then Acts 5.29 works for the woman when she says, I must obey God rather than man. Amen. See, there are a lot of guys who are just not, they're not spiritual, they're, they're, they're not even saved, and they think because they're gendered a man that somehow, that automatically everybody that's a female has to yield to them. Listen, our, our, we yield to God first, no matter what your gender is. Now, here's the good news. If guys, if we would step up, I honestly believe that ladies, women would instantly respond to us. Because I believe most of them want spiritual input and leadership in their life. And I'm just telling you, in many, many homes, we'll, we'll just get out of the church realm now. In many homes, if it weren't for the mom, there'd be no spiritual influence going on. And here we find in a nation, and probably in a household, we find Deborah stepping up to the plate. And the scripture that's inspired literally says that she becomes a mother in Israel. A mother in Israel. And as the song begins to come forth, her song gives us some context to what was going on. Apparently, 
enemies had gathered at the border of the nation, according to the song. They'd gathered at the border of the nation and they wanted to destroy it. There was a chasm in leadership, as she begins to sing, when leaders lead in Israel. So she's singing that there's, when leaders lead, the people are happy, but apparently there's this chasm in leadership. And those willing to step up to the plate weren't stepping up to the plate. The song tells us that nobody wanted to sacrifice and put themselves on the line and be selfless at this moment. In fact, it goes on in the last verses that I read there. It says that everything in the villages and towns had ceased. Is that not true? Sometimes if if mom doesn't step up to the plate, everything in the house ceases, doesn't it? I mean, just leave a guy in charge of a house for a week. My wife's going out of town for a couple days, and I'll guarantee you, it's, it's going to be a challenge for us not to have dishes stacked up and, and for every, you know, we just, we, guys make a mess wherever they go. And, and it seems like everything ceases. And that's exactly what happened in the nation. There was no commerce, no trade, no normalcy, no peace. All of these things uh, had suddenly ground to a halt until, the scripture says, a mother in Israel arose a mother in Israel now the question may arise what's a mother in Israel what's a mother in Israel well I'm going to use a phrase that may not mean anything to you it probably means a lot more to me and and maybe uh, we can just believe that there'll be revelation that will come to you but I kind of like the the phrase apostolic mom apostolic mom say what do you mean by that I mean that 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 a mother in Israel is one who carries wisdom and stability and strategy, compassion, and even strength in the purposes of God. A mother in Israel. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I, I believe there's an incredibly critical place for dads. We'll probably get to that on Father's Day. But right now, I'm just zeroing in with the moms. Moms have an incredibly important place in the mind of God. In fact, in fact, families work best when there's a mom and a dad. Amen. I, I, believe, I believe churches work that way too. I believe there should be spiritual moms and, and, and spiritual dads. And when you get both functioning like they're supposed to be functioning, it can be an incredibly powerful team. However, if dad drops the ball, the truth of the matter is God can use mom to bring his victory into the household god can use a mom to bring victory into a church victory into a nation god's not going to be stopped because guys trip all right and again barack needed her strength and courage to go to battle now there are all sorts of pictures of things like this in the scripture i started thinking about it and, and for those of you that know the scripture, you know that Timothy, how many of you know Timothy had a mom and a grandma that probably were impactful people, Eunice and Lois? I mean, I mean, most folks have heard those two names and they they were highly impactful with regards to Timothy. We don't hear anything about Timothy's dad. Isn't that interesting? In fact, it was Paul who said with regards to Timothy that he had begotten him in the Lord. And so Paul literally became, I believe, probably the father figure in Timothy's life, although Eunice and Lois became certainly a mothering, uh, godly mothering impact to the life of Timothy. Uh, some of us have heard the name of Hannah with Samuel. Hannah and Samuel. I mean, we find an incredibly important mom at this place bringing her son to the house of God 
in order that he might be touched in such a way that he eventually becomes one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel. I could, I could tell you Rebecca and Jacob. I realize there's probably some dysfunctionality there. There was Elizabeth to John. And why not even Mary to Jesus? I mean, Mary must have had some qualities that God saw that he could entrust the very Savior in her womb. These, these connections that I've just shared with you, most of them are biological connections. But I believe that not only is there biological connection, which probably is the first line of input, but I believe there are spiritual connections that take place as well. I believe there are spiritual moms because Deborah wasn't a mom to everyone in Israel, was she? Now, she was a wife and, and she was a mother. And while the scripture doesn't say, uh, or at least I hadn't found that she'd had children, truth is she probably did. And so she had some biological responsibilities with her own kids. But there was something even at a next level in Deborah's life that took place. She became a mother in the nation of Israel. There was a, a spiritual mothering impact that she had even in other people's lives. And this was not just in the sense that you do spiritual things. Because I believe that every mom that's hearing my voice this morning, I would hope that you pray. I would hope that you read your Bible. I'd hope that you pray with your kids. I'd hope you would do spiritual things. I hope you would help facilitate spiritual happenings within your household. These things are in order. But there is a strength in a mother in Israel and there is an impact in her that affects people beyond your biological children. I believe there's something God is calling women to and God is calling moms to that's beyond even just their own house. Although I, I do believe that's priority and that is where it all starts. See, I don't believe you can be a mother in Israel, of course, until you learn how to be a mother in your own house. You see, if you can't be Deborah in your house, if you can't be Deborah with your immediate responsibilities, it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to be one in the house of God. But you see, our problem in our current era is we live in a parentless generation. Oh, don't, don't misunderstand me. We're making babies. We've got the making baby part down. Everyone knows how to make a baby. You just turned 13 in our public school system and they will tell you how to make babies. Now, they won't tell you how to be responsible. They won't tell you the repercussions. They won't tell you what it means to be of influence. No, they'll hand you a prophylactic and say, you're a barnyard animal. Go after it. So I understand we got the making baby part down, but making baby isn't the same as being a spiritual mom or dad. A whole lot different there. And we've got to begin to learn how to do that. If we can't, if we can't learn in our own houses, how in the world is that going to transmit to a world that is desperately dysfunctional in this area? In my encouragement, I'm not, I'm not really crawling anybody's case as much as I want to encourage, especially to the moms today, let God begin to fashion in you wherever you are at this moment an anointing that will enable you to not only be effective with the kids or the grandkids that you immediately have around you, but that you can begin to arise and be an impact even in a generation that needs spiritual moms and yes, even spiritual dads. See, that's what mothers in Israel are. That's what Paul meant. And I know he meant it and he said it in the masculine gender when he said we have 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers. 
Well, the truth of the matter is we have 10,000 intercessors, but we don't have many mothers. We have 10,000 people that can do small groups and read their devotionals and do all the things that we do. But do we have any moms? Do we have any dads? Spiritual moms and spiritual dads. And it is time that, that like Deborah, and I'm just addressing the moms, but guys, you can make some application to this as well. It is time that we said, as we sung, I will arise. I will arise. And if you're a mom, you can say, I will arise as a mother in Israel. And if you're a dad, you can begin to say, and I will arise as a father in Israel and a father in the house. I believe that's what God's looking for. I believe that's what the world's looking for. I believe, I believe right now there's a generation that's crying out for spiritual. Now, again, when I say spiritual, we're so used to thinking, well, they're looking for people who pray and they're looking for people who read their Bible and they're looking for examples. Yes, they're looking for that, but they're looking, they're looking for someone who would take the time to input their life. I guess the, the, the contemporary word is mentor, input, fashion form. They're looking for this. They're looking for someone to help them succeed in life. Can I just say that, that my wife, Trace, I, I, and I'll say it unabashedly, she's the spiritual mom of this house. Now, now, certainly she is in our personal house, but she's the mom of legacy. I count it, I count it a blessing that, uh, that my wife, uh, isn't just someone who wants to take a ride in the legacy bus and just watch how we get there. That she, she is intricately involved in what takes place. And I appreciate that. I've needed that. She's become a completer to me in that regard. I'm here to tell you I'm a, I'm a better pastor and probably I would irritate you even more if it weren't for her. I'm not kidding. I can't remember names and she remembers everybody's name. I... Uh, I just, I probably have been on the brink of some stupid decisions and she looked at me and said, are you sure you really want to make that decision? And has probably stopped me from crashing things on more occasions than I can count. And uh, she didn't get there just automatically. You know, you know, she didn't get there just because she was married to me. There are some people who kind of say, and however they want to say it, they say, well, you know, she gets that because she's just married to the pastor. Let me just share something with you. She's dug that out on her own. She's dug it out on her own. You don't even know the half of what it's taken to dig those things out. God has given her anointing in order to do that. And I believe that a part of that anointing is to help, is to help not only fashion her children, which it has, but to help fashion other potential mothers in Israel. I, I, I mean, she, she has an ability to be able to do that. And can I just share, I was reading, and, I, and I'm going to get to this passage, you may want to flip there, most of you know of Proverbs 31, which is the passage of the Proverbs 31 woman or the virtuous woman. Uh, we, we usually read about verse 10 in that regard, but can I just share with you, there's some things before that that are really, that are really interesting before you get to what we normally read as the virtuous woman. But can I just tell you that her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband praises her, and uh, it's amazing to me that that with the fruit of her labor, that more people don't take advantage of her insight in this regard. I, I'm not saying anything about it except to say I'm just amazed at how few people want to take uh, time to just get to know her insight in particular areas. And uh, baby, I just want you to know that uh, I'm a blessed man and I just wanted to take a moment 
out loud in a forum that that I oversee to let you know I couldn't I couldn't do what I do without you. And I want you to know that your children are a reflection of your input. I've said this on numerous occasions. God only knows that they'd have been left to me what would have happened. But I've watched the Holy Spirit use you at incredibly amazing moments in order to to, to bring input to the kids. I've watched I've watched them in challenging moments. I've, I've, I've watched you navigate all of that up up close and personal. And I just want you to say, I just want to be able to say out loud that, that I consider that a blessing. And it's a blessing to this house. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of ladies that understand that. And, and they've been a blessing to you. And I'm just saying out loud that for some of you that are challenged and struggling, I mean, to me, you know, the fruit is what you got to look at. Who's got the fruit? Everybody, you know, I, I can clip anything off the internet and preach it to you. There are a lot of people out there writing books. Preaching sermons and handing it to you, and we just we just hail them as the greatest thing in the world, and their and their lot their personal lives are falling apart. It amazes me to this day that people go to churches, thousands of people go to churches, and there's no character in the pulpit, there's no stability in their marriage, there, there's no fruit in their children, and yet we'll run to it because they make us feel good. Let me tell you, answers are in the fruit. If you want to know what the root is, watch the fruit. I, I'm just telling you, if, if I want to know longevity in marriage, I'm going to go find someone that's been married a long, long time to the same person. Now, that's not to say that those that have maybe divorce in their background don't have something to say, because I'm sure they could say, don't do it my way. And I would do this if I were you. And I've made that mistake. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm just simply saying, don't you think fruit's important? Come on, moms. It's, we got to put some fruit out there. And Deborah said, I will arise. I will arise. Moms, I want you to say it one more time. One, two, three. I will arise and be a mother in Israel. Now, Proverbs 31, 1. Look at this. It says, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance, I just saw this this week, the utterance which his mother taught him. See that in Proverbs 31, 1? So who taught the king? Is that not amazing? Well, I thought women had to be silent. Well, apparently his mom wouldn't. I'm just up the tree shaking it a little bit. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. She says, what, my son? What, son of my womb? And what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drinks i'm liking this mom right now right there lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart how many of you know verse six isn't talking about going to get a belt at your local bar but it's a, a medicinal use you know they didn't have prozac she was saying you know give them a prozac that's probably what they would have said in those days they didn't have that. It says, let him drink and forget his poverty. There was depression and, for, and remember his misery no more. But open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge, righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Listen, there are three things that I just want to leave you with, Mom, and I'm only going to take another couple minutes to do this. But, but just three questions I'm going to leave to you. There's probably a lot more. But just three questions I want you to ponder, to consider, to pray about. As you consider how God's going to use you in order to be spiritual mom in your house. And as God begins to increase that in other people's lives as well. I can tell you right now, as far as Trace and I 
our concern. We, we, we want people to be of influence. We're raising up spiritual moms and dads. We want you to be successful in your household, and we want you to be successful beyond your household. We want you to be of great influence in your family tree and beyond your family tree. And the good news is, I don't care what you bring to the equation, God can redeem it and use it and change it and rearrange it, and He can make you a great impact. Can you believe that with me? you got to want that, though. You have to want to arise. Three questions I want to leave you. Number one, are you grooming a future or surviving the moment? Are you grooming a future or surviving a moment? Are we setting our kids up for success or failure? And I'm talking not only in, in, in maybe educational terms and, and, and maybe with regards to you know, what they do as a career, but I'm talking spiritually as well. Are we setting them up for success or failure? You know, there's no guarantee with our kids. I, I, I remind everybody of this. Even my children were born with a carnal nature, and I'm here to tell you that, that it's everything you can do to corral the carnal nature. Everyone has one, which means that there's no guarantees all the time of outcomes. I've watched people do everything right and kids still go wrong. I've watched people do everything wrong and kids still turn out right. Now, we can't, we can't make principles on all of these things. We're still required to do what God asks us to do as moms and dads. So we can't drop the ball. And it's not about control. But the thing I've begun to see with regards to children and even regards to people's lives is this. And that is, we've got to begin to groom people for a future. And many people don't understand this. You see, in our household, we believe our house has a destiny. This, I'm just going to give you some insight into the Baird household. We believe that the Baird household has a destiny. We've been preaching destiny to our kids since the day they were born. We believe that it means something to carry the last name of Baird. We don't believe Baird is just any name. We believe it's an important name. We believe it's a redeemed name. We believe that God is in that name somehow, some way. And when you're a Baird in our household, that means something. I'm going to ask you, does your name mean anything? What does it mean? People hear your name, is it respected or do they laugh? You can change that. See, the, the king's mom knew that her son had a future. She was whispering in his ear, saying, son, you have a future as a king. Let me, let me give you some insight as to what you're going to need to know. And she whispered in his ear. I suspect if he wouldn't listen to the whispers, she probably raised her voice. The truth of the matter is, King Lemuel didn't get out of the house before he heard from mom. She did her best to, to speak destiny, to speak the things he needed to hear, to groom it, to protect it. I mean, we've got to begin to groom. Do you, we don't use that term anymore, grooming. We don't use it. We, we just let our kids grow up and we just kind of, well, they're going to find their own way. You know, they just need to find their own way. Or, or I'm not going to push religion on them. I'll let them figure that out when they get older. Well, aren't you dumb? Why don't you just use that viewpoint in, in their education? I'm not going to make them go to school. We'll just see if they need education later. I won't teach them manners. I won't teach them how to care for themselves. I won't do anything. Why feed them? I mean, they'll find food somewhere. Let them scavenge. But yet the most important issues of life, we're just kind of hands off and, and laissez-faire. Come on, we've got to start grooming a generation. Come on, are you teaching your kids? I'm just going to get real practical. A generation that says thank you. 
How about please? Excuse me. Come on, let's groom them. Groom them. Teach them what it means to shake hands. Teach them what it means to open doors. Teach them a little etiquette. Teach them that there are certain things you don't pick in front of people. I mean, come on. Oh, you're chuckling. You would be amazed. Everybody ought to one time be a custodian in a public building. And see what's left in bathrooms and, and rooms. I, I, maybe they do that at your house. I don't know. I mean, we teach our children to flush the toilet when they're done. I mean, we do. We, 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 we teach them. We teach them that there are certain things you need to do. You say, I can't believe this. Hey, you think they're going to be a king when they haven't figured out the... Yeah, they're going to be a brain surgeon, aren't they? Are you grooming your children? I'm not telling controlling them. I'm not saying you got to tell them exactly what they got to do. But are you grooming a future? Or are you just surviving? Just saying, I'm glad I got through today. Dear God, there wasn't a wreck. Nobody got cut. And I'm still breathing. And they made it to bed. Hallelujah. Come on, this is, this is just a few short years of grooming a future. Looking at them and saying, son, whatever God calls you to do. Daughter, whatever God calls you to do. There is a destiny on our house. This house arises and serves the Lord. You are destined for influence. You are destined to do something great in the economy of God. I'm going to whisper in your ear. Ear, don't blow it with women. That's what she was saying. They'll snag you. Don't go out and get a DUI. It'll follow you the rest of your life. Do you understand that's what she's whispering? She said, well, what if they don't listen to me? Then say it louder. Take the keys. Don't let them go. Because we're grooming you for a future. This isn't about your momentary want or need or pleasure. This is about your future. And there needs to be Deborahs who will fight for a nation's future. I've watched her fight. I have. I've watched her fight for her kid's future. So are you grooming a future or surviving the moment? Number two, are you training a leader or enabling a follower? Are you training a leader or enabling a follower? My oldest son, Clay, he'll be here in a few weeks. But let me just tell you, we told too many stories on Clay, but he was a strong-willed kid. I'm here to tell you, he would look at us, and he would just, we'd ask him to do something, and he'd just say, I don't do that. <laughs> well, you're going to do that. I don't do that. And I'd take him, and I'd apply the Board of Education to the seat of higher learning, Walking back out, I still don't do that. So well, what do you do? You just keep educating until eventually they comply. Now, I understand at first they aren't going to be happy and smiling and, and all the rest. But, but we had two choices. This is the two choices you have. You either yield to that and you let them do what they want and end up in a crash of a life later on down the road or... You can begin to use that strength for God's glory that will begin to train a leader who will be resolute in the things of God. I want him to say, I don't do that. I want him to say that when everyone else is wanting to take the, 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 the drive after they've been drinking all night long and saying, I don't do that. When the pretty young thing comes up to him with slips down to there and up to there and, and, and tries to seduce him, I want him to say, I don't do that. See, those are your choices. So are you training a leader or are you training a follower? What are you, what are you training? 
Come on, mom and dad, we're training kids. We're training them to to be up and at them. We're training them to be happy. We're training them to be optimistic. We're training them to serve God. We're training them for greatness. We're training them to go somewhere where we'll never be. But we've got to train them to get them there. Proverbs 22, verse 6, the famous verse that says, train a child up in the way he should go. You notice it didn't it didn't say try up a child. It didn't say suggest to a child. What does it say? Train up a child in the way you should go. I understand we're swimming upstream. I understand they're all we're all afraid we're going to damage their little psyches. Let me tell you, there are so many experiences out there that they're having. Their psyches are already damaged. Are you following me? The first time a police officer picks them up and throws them in jail, I bet their psyche's damaged. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that verse is a promise, but the, it's only as good of a promise as that first word. If you didn't train him, where are they going to learn it? Who's going to train him? You going to let you going to let the school system train him? I'm glad they're being educated, but I wouldn't I wouldn't let everything that goes on there train him. Who's going to train him? Their friends going to train him? Where are they going to learn things? Are they going to learn things just hanging around their buddies? Are they going to learn it around other parents? God forbid. You've got to train them. So are you training a leader or enabling a follower? We've always looked at our children and we've done our best saying, you know what? Here's your last name. You're expected to set the temperature, not reflect the temperature. I believe that if we're going to be salt and light Christians, we're going to have to be trained that way. Will your children be the trendsetters or, 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 or the temperature setters or are they going to be the thermometers and the reflectors? All right. Even our church here, I, I understand everybody else does different things than we do it. We preach a different way. We, we, we teach a different way. We process a different way. I'm not saying anything's bad. I'm not throwing any stones. We believe God's bigger than us and he can do things way beyond us. But we're training success here. See, that's why we talk like we do. We're training success, spiritual success. We're not, we're not just, just throwing this stuff out that's just going to maybe make you feel good as you go off the cliff. We want to train for success. Amen. And so we've got to do that even as spiritual moms and dads. And then finally, are you instilling convictions or increasing convenience? Instilling conviction or increasing convenience. Notice all the things that the mom told the king. Told them about drinking, told them about women, told them about all these things. Hey, teach your children to have some convictions. Raise them up right now and tell them about the convictions of your household. Now, now I understand there's going to be moments and, and they go through their teenage years and there can be some really, you know, challenging moments. But begin to teach them to have a conviction. Don't be a laissez-faire parent with their hands off. Is it not true? I, I know how it is. Kids will wear you out and whittle you down until you're just saying, do what you, just go, do. But folks, we can't let hormones and exhaustion and frustration and even endearment detour us from our divine mandates. Listen, if our nation falls, the only people we'll have to kick is ourselves. Because our nation isn't what's going on in Washington, D.C. Our nation is what's going on in most of our homes. But we can say like Deborah, I will arise. I will arise. And if all I can solicit from you this morning, moms, 
And we love you and we encourage you. And, and I'll guarantee you, most of us wouldn't be where we are today had it not been for you. So I'm guaranteeing you, we, we honor you significantly today. But if all I can solicit from you is maybe one more time, even if it's the first time, for you to say, I will arise. I will arise and I will be a Deborah. I'll be a Deborah in my household. I will be a Deborah in, in my relationships. I will be a Deborah anywhere, God, that you put me and, and you give me an anointing for it. I will arise. I had a poem and I'm done with this. I tweaked this, honey, just for you. And it's better than roses are red, Silas. Here we go. I knew a mom that gave her life to see revival fire. She prayed by day, she prayed by night to birth this one desire. She had but one obsession to see a generation arrayed in spotless passion and shaking this great nation. Her calling, though none affirmed it, was matched by very few. And yet she loved the closet there with the God she knew. While others strove for men's applause, for fortune, wealth, and fame, she had but one ambition to exalt the Master's name. For untold years she labored and lived with eye towards eternity, a mom of faith and vision and true humility. She knew one day she'd have to stand before God's judgment seat, and so she ran to win the prize, her mandate to complete. The legacy she leaves behind was not in stocks or gold, but lives transformed and challenged, their stories yet untold. There is no greater privilege and honor like no other of knowing this great saint of God and calling her a mother. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Father, I just ask you right now in these last moments we have that that anointing would drop in this house. And that you would call, cause Deborahs to arise. Lord, I'm grateful for the Deborah whose name's Tracy in my life and in her children's life. Lord, I pray that you would even increase that which is upon her to disseminate in this congregation. In such a way that it could be said truly, truly, there are women of God in that place. Lord, I thank you that you're more than willing. The question is, will we arise? And Lord, right now, we just pray, all the men right now, we just pray for the women, the moms in our life. Lord, we ask that you would affirm them today. We know that a lot of times their job is thankless. A lot of things they do, we never see, never understand. We, we don't even get how they multitask a hundred things. But Lord, we pray for them right now in Jesus' name and ask that you would just increase their impact, I pray. Increase their wisdom increase their desire and lord i pray that everyone that's under the sound of my voice lord every every mom that's here lord that there would just be a refreshing that would come to their life that lord they wouldn't at this moment feel as if they failed but that lord they could they could seek redemption for all the mistakes and sins all of us have done and, and, and lord be restored to a place where you could use them for great impact i pray lord you'd begin to do that right now Lord, if there are people under my voice right now that do not know Jesus, Lord, would you begin to speak to them about getting started again, knowing the Lord. 
With every head bowed and every eye closed, I only have about 30 seconds. But right now, where you're standing, before we leave, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, you know, before I go, Pastor, just one more time, pray for me. I want to lift my hand and just say, I need to get a couple things right before the Lord. And I'm going to lift my hand right now and just say, I'm getting them right. I'm saying yes to the Lord right now. Before I go, I'm not going to make you step out this morning, but, but just you would say, okay, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hands. God bless you all. You can put your hands down. Father, right now, may these hearts be opened. In fact, all of us together, let's just say this. Dear Jesus, I open my heart and receive you with forgiveness and cleansing. I receive that right now. I'm sorry for the mistakes. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm choosing to turn and say of myself, I will arise. Today I will arise. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for everyone that prayed that prayer. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the impact together we're making. Bless them, Lord, as they have a great day celebrating. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can we all put our hands together? Let's do that. Put our hands together. Amen. Turn around. I want you to hug someone and shake a hand and greet each other. You are released.